the beginning of Advent. And Advent is the season of the church when we begin to prepare our hearts to celebrate the coming of Christ. And actually, the word Advent, it means, it comes from the Latin word, coming. Now, let me ask you this. I just am beginning to hear an echo in my voice. Are y'all hearing that? Or is that just me? Okay, that's just me. I saw Joseph's fingers go up like that. All right, they got it. But it means coming. It comes from a Latin word, appearing. And so this is the season when we look back and we remember and celebrate the coming of Christ as the baby Jesus, uh, God himself, who had became flesh and dwelt among us. We remember and celebrate what that means. It also is the time when we prepare our hearts spiritually to receive and to recognize and to to be aware of Christ's coming in our lives today. Uh, today, whatever is going on in your world, this is when we are opening ourselves up spiritually to say, God, give me eyes to see. Pull back the veil that I might see you appearing, experience you appearing in my life today where I need you the most. It is also the season where we look to the future in hope and anticipation of Christ's coming once again in final victory, and we will be with him forever and ever for all eternity. And so that's what this season is about, is that idea of preparing our hearts spiritually for the coming of Christ. And our theme for this sermon series is A Weary World Rejoices. I love that. A Weary World Rejoices. Now, when I say the word weary, what are some of the things that come to mind for you? A weird, that, that word is just, it is so, it is a weighty word. It is a heavy word. On one hand, I think of the good weary, and maybe you've experienced this. I, I'm currently experiencing <clears throat> this right this moment. There's that good weary when you have worked hard or you've done something and you've been busy and, and you are physically a little exhausted, but there is this joy in your soul. Uh, Mark and I have had the grandkids this week weekend solo. Uh, their mom and dad stayed in North Carolina. So we've since Thursday evening have had the grandkids. Y'all, I am weary. <laughs> I mean, I was like, when Mark was preaching at the 830, I was like, okay, don't fall asleep. Don't fall asleep. No. But there's a good weary. Um, maybe you've experienced this. If you ever had an opportunity to go on a mission trip where you're actually doing physical labor. I remember one time being down in, in New Orleans um, after Katrina and we had taken a group of high school students. And I just remember we had been and working with Habitat for Humanity. And I just remember being physically so exhausted, but then coming back to the church that was hosting us and hearing these teenagers talk about what they had done and seeing them so excited about serving others. And, and there was just this joy. I think when we hear this phrase, a weary world rejoices, the weary that this is speaking of is not that good kind of weary. This is a weariness that brings to mind heavy eyelids, aching joints, uh, worn out faces of those who have borne too much, and a weariness that is when the hardness of life has settled in and your soul feels like lead. I recently was talking to a friend who um, is, is a therapist, and she said, I'm just, I'm weary. She said, it's gotten to where when people come into my office, it's like, I don't care. I don't, and she said, this is, I've got, I just like, she needs, she was recognizing that she needed some help because she said, you know, this is my profession. This is what I do is to care. And there's actually a clinical word for that. It's called compassion fatigue. Um, for many of you, maybe you have been watching 
in the news in the last 24 to 48 hours if we are learning that there is a new COVID variant uh, that is around and, and nations are beginning to shut down their borders and, and air flights are being canceled and, and they're saying it could be resistance to the vaccine and all this. And I don't know about y'all, but for me, it's like, oh, this weariness can begin to settle in. I was talking to a mom and, and, uh, and I said, what does when you hear that phrase, a weary war rejoices, what do you think of? She said, five years of no sleep. That's what I think of, weary. And, and so as we talked about, there's different types of weariness. There's the time when you begin to fantasize about, I can't wait to retire. I can't wait to throw in the towel. Gallup poll recently, not Gallup poll, I'm sorry, it was on. Oh, I've forgotten the name of the organization, but they recently, uh, the Kinnaman uh, brothers, they did this. Uh, they, I might be wrong on this again. It's not in my notes. I'm doing this for memory. I'm sorry. But someone, some organization polled pastors and, and found that 38% of pastors in this past year have seriously considered quitting uh, full-time ministry in the, last, in the last 12 months it was born. I'm sorry that I got that wrong. But to think about that, the weariness that comes when you're like, I just want to get off the train. I just want to stop. I'm just, I'm weary. Today we are looking at at a passage in the scriptures uh, of, a, of a woman, uh, Mary, the mother of Jesus. And I think she articulates for us what this might look like and what she was experiencing and what the people of God were experiencing, a weary people who were waiting on Messiah. And in her story, we learn things about who God is and who we are that I think that can help us navigate when that, when that weariness settles into our own soul because doesn't it feel like there's kind of this just juxtaposition when you've got the weary world but we're called to rejoice so with that let us look at the song the song of mary this is the first christmas carol it is recorded for us in the gospel of luke you have it printed there in your bulletins it should be words coming up uh, on the screen if you are online but i want to read through it in its entirety and then i want to lift up some insights for us today Mary, uh, she is with her cousin, or her cousin, we don't know, it is a relative. She is with her relative Elizabeth. And Mary said, with all my heart, I glorify the Lord. In the depths of who I am, I rejoice in God my Savior. He has looked down with favor on the low status of his servant. Look, from now on, everyone will consider me highly favored because the Mighty One has done great things for me, and holy is his name. He shows mercy to everyone from one generation to the next who honors him as God. He has shown strength with his arm. He has scattered those with arrogant thoughts and proud inclinations. He has pulled the powerful down from their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry with good things, and he has sent the rich away empty-handed. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel, remembering his mercy, just as he promised to our ancestors, to Abraham, and to Abraham's descendants forever. So if we were in the, in the traditional service, I would end that by saying the word of God for the people of God and the congregation response, thanks be to God. What a powerful, powerful hymn as Mary begins to praise 
God Almighty for what he has done for her. Now, what is the backstory? What has happened before this beautiful, beautiful Christmas carol and hymn? So, let's talk a little bit about Luke, okay? The gospel writer Luke. Do you ever think about how did, how did we capture this song right here? How did we have these words? Luke tells us how he captured this. He said that he talked to eyewitnesses, that he interviewed people to write down an orderly account. We find that in the very beginning, just a few verses earlier. Now, tradition would tell us um, after the resurrection is that Jesus on the cross, you might remember this from some of the Easter stories, but on the cross, Jesus looks at the disciple John and basically asks him to take care of his mother. So then, we don't know. We, we know that Mary is present at the, at, the, at the ascension. We know that Jesus appears to his mother. And what we know from church tradition, it's not in the scriptures, is that John then went and lived in Ephesus. Okay, y'all, I'm, I'm doing a little bit of background history, but all this is relevant. And that he and Mary lived in Ephesus. Um, there's actually, if you go to that part of the world, there's actually a place that's called Mary's house. Who, who knows? We don't know. It's, it's tradition. But anyway, but probably Luke, the traveling companion of Paul, was probably in Ephesus for about three years. Okay, let's just sit with this. Luke, the guy who wrote this down, the, the one, and it says that he interviewed people. Wouldn't you have loved to have been sitting around the the kitchen table with Luke with his, I don't know, he didn't, ha he didn't have a computer. I mean, so I guess he had like a stylus and maybe some wax or something. I don't know how they did it. And saying, Mary, tell me, tell me about when the angel Gabriel came to see you. Tell me about when you found out that your, your relative Elizabeth was pregnant. She who was old and had been barren, tell me about that. And Mary begins to tell Luke this story. What happened before Mary breaks out in song? It's kind of like, you know, a Christian musical there. But before she breaks out in song, and I think this is so incredibly significant, and I think it bears to our understanding of this idea of a weary world rejoicing. What has happened is an angel has appeared to Zechariah. Okay, this is a relative of Mary. He is a priest. Uh, so if he's a priest, that means he has a high station. In other words, this is, he is very respected. Uh, this is a, a, a good job, if you will. So Zechariah is old. It says he was his wife was advanced in years. That's just a fancy way of saying, yeah, he's pretty old. But anyway, his wife had not been able to have children. The angel appears to, to Zechariah and basically says, your wife is going to conceive and, and have a child. And this child, and he begins to talk about the things that the child is going to do. Okay, five months later now. All right, it's great. It's great. That's exciting. Five months later, the angel then appears to Mary. Angel Gabriel comes and says, Hi, favored one. And, you know, you're going to have a baby. And she's like, What? You know, I'm 13 years old. I'm 14 years old. I'm not married. I'm engaged. But, you know, and, he, and he's, the, Gabriel says that, you know, the, the power, the, the Holy Spirit's going to come upon you. The child is going to be the son of the Most High. It's all these great things. And Mary, she says, she says, Okay, so be it to me. You know, well, okay, I, I don't completely, I'm, I'm, this is Fran's interpreter, I don't completely get it all. But, but, so be it to me. This is the interesting part to me. 
The angel then tells Mary, and I guess she didn't know it at this point, but the angel Gabriel tells Mary. He says, look, okay, this is exciting what's about to happen to you. Look, even in her old age, your relative Elizabeth has conceived a son. This woman who was labeled unable to conceive is now six months pregnant because nothing is impossible for God. What Mary does next is so critical, so important. It says that Mary got up and hurried to a city in the Judean highlands. I think that at this point, you know, Gabriel didn't just like point his finger and say, okay, Mary, I, this is a lot, you, you know, I, you got a lot's about to happen to you, and you really have no idea what you are about to experience. I mean, how could she have known what was going to happen 30 years later? How could she have known? But it was like Gabriel said, you might want to go be with somebody else who gets this, who understands this, someone else who you can share this with. And she runs with haste to this relative. And then when she sees her, her cousin Elizabeth or her relative, we don't know if it's a cousin, uh, maybe an aunt because of the age difference, with a loud voice, Elizabeth, the one who you know is pregnant, blurts out, God has blessed you, Mary, above all women, and he has blessed the child that you carry. And then she says, why do I have this honor that the mother of my Lord should come to me? So here Mary has been told by the angel in appearance, you are going to have a child who will be the son of the Most High. There's all this prophetic messianic language. At this point, who does Mary have in her world to share this with? Who in her world does she have to tell this to? Because she knows uh, right now she's pregnant with no daddy. You know, she knows she is already poor. She, is a, she, I mean, she can't begin to even understand how hard it's going to get. But she knows in this moment it's already going to be hard. Who could, who could carry, who could shoulder this with her? She goes, and, and Elizabeth says, why do I have this honor? Elizabeth, the one who in that society should be honored by Mary. Mary's the one who honors her elders. But instead, Elizabeth is saying, I honor you because my Lord is in your womb. And it says in the scripture, Luke says, and I can just hear Mary, Mary saying this, and, you know, and Luke when Elizabeth said that, it was like, I knew that I knew, I'd already known the angel Gabriel came. I already knew. I mean, I was trusting, but I was scared. I was, I mean, what, how, could I, how could I understand this? What did this mean? But that was the confirmation that I needed. And when this happens, the fact that Elizabeth knows this, it seems to pull together for Mary. This is the confirmation that what she had hoped for was true. She sees it. She gets it. She has clarity. She has release. And that is when she begins to sing. What does this mean for you and what does this mean for me? I think that so often that God speaks the loudest to us in 
community. Um, maybe it is a relative who walks with the Lord. Maybe it is an older woman in the Lord. Maybe it's an older gentleman in the Lord. Maybe it is a mentor. Maybe it is someone. But someone that when you were in that place and you feel like God's speaking to you, do you step out? Or maybe it is the hard places of life. I think that what enables us to not let that bone-tired weariness just cause us to, you know, to, to give up. The example of these pastors, 38% of them want to quit and leave the ministry. My question is, who do they have to support them? Who do they have to remind them and go back and remember the time when God called them into ministry or to have someone to walk with you? But Mary didn't go, you know, put her put the covers over her head. She didn't she didn't crawl in a cave. She didn't do it alone. She went and sought an older, wiser relative who would get it as well. We find that the Lord, we find the Lord in community. We know God best in community. What is it now? So that's kind of what happened. That's the background. What is it that Mary sings about? We kind of see two places in this hymn. The first part is, is Mary talking about herself. The second part is Mary magnifying and exalting who God is. Mary begins this song, and she says, With all of my heart I glorify the Lord. And that word glorify there, um, if you look at it in the Greek, other translations uh, say, it, with, with all of my heart I magnify the Lord. That, that Greek word there, it is the idea of making something grand, of making it big. And in that moment, she wasn't looking at her lowly estate. She wasn't looking at what she, you know, was going to face, the, the, what, what was her community going to think, was she going to be ostracized, none of that. In that moment, she wasn't looking at her circumstances. She was looking up, and she was magnifying. And it was like the Lord had pulled back the veil so that she might see him for who he truly was. Then she says something that is so significant that if you don't pay attention, you'll miss it. She says, in the depths of who I am, I rejoice in, who does she rejoice in? God, my Savior. They all right there, that is the gospel. That is the gospel of Jesus Christ. Because in that moment, she is saying that the child who is in my womb is my God and my Savior. And right there we learn and we know as Jesus went about doing good and healing all those who were sick and oppressed of the devil, and then he, he makes his way at the end of his three-year ministry to die on the cross for the sins of the whole world. Mary, like you and like me, we all need a Savior. We have all broken God's law. We have all broken God's heart. We have all gone astray, as the Apostle Paul tells us. And she said, this child that was in my womb, this child will be my Savior. And then she goes on, and she talks about how he is looked on with her with favor. And then he goes on, she, around 59, verse 59, or 50, I'm sorry, it, it switches, and she stops talking about herself. You know, sometimes in prayer we talk about ourselves. Sometimes in prayer it's time to start talking about who God is, you know. But then you see, and it's, it's all past tense language. She says, he has shown strength. He has scattered the proud. He has pulled the powerful down for their thrones. He has lifted up the lowly. He has filled the hungry. He has come to the aid of his servant Israel. And now she is declaring who God is. This is what God has done in the past. This is who God is in the present. And this is who we can know him to be in the future. 
Now let's think about the political situation. She's talking about how God's pulled down the proud and lifted up the lowly. Will Mary's situation change in her lifetime? Politically, it won't. She will still be under Roman rule her entire life. She will still watch her son be unduly persecuted and crucified by the hand of a corrupt government system, a corrupt religious system. That, that will not change in her lifetime. She will still remain a woman um, and in that society of, of, of a very low status. None of that is going to change in her lifetime. But what she is looking at is the eternal perspective of what really matters in life, what really matters in this life. And that is there is a God who created the universe, who loves you, who loves me, who sent his son to die on the cross for us. And if we will humble ourselves, we can be his children and we might be saved. Now, Rome eventually fell. The status of women has changed. I mean, so many things that she's prophesying about right here we have come to experience in our lifetime. And I think what her, her song and her message in this story, I think there's some things we take away when we think about a weary world rejoices. One is, when you are weary, don't do it alone. There is that temptation to crawl in the bed, to put the covers over your head. Um, but, but do it in community. Find someone that you can trust. Find someone who is maybe older, someone who gets it, someone that you can walk that path with. And then I think the other thing is, is what do we focus our attention on? In this song, there is nothing about Mary's age. I think I would have written a rant. You know, God, don't you know, I'm, I'm 13 or 14 years old. God, don't you know, my community's going to you know, give me a really hard time about this. God, don't you know? None of that. It is my soul magnifies the Lord, my God, my Savior. And so her perspective begins to change. I think about Mary sitting at that kitchen table talking, talking to Luke. Now, now she had, you know, the, 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 uh, you know the, the benefit of being able to look backwards. And I wonder if she would have said, it was nothing Nothing like what I expected. Nothing like what I expected. But oh, it was so much better. It was so much better. There's a new uh, Christmas song out by Kirby Capel. Um, and I, I want to read the lyrics to you here in just a second. But I just want to put in a little commercial. I knew Kirby Capel when she was in college. So I just want to say that she went to Columbus State University and I was there. <laughs> but anyway, Kirby has a new um, album out. And it's just a wonderful, wonderful um, collection of songs that she and Pat Barrett have written. But this is the song that has just resonated with my heart because I think about Mary. I think about Mary saying these words, but it's entitled, What a Surprise. She says, We waited, we wondered, what would you be like? For 2,000 years, when God made, from, you know, God made his promise to Abraham that he was going to send someone, and it's been, they've been waiting 2,000 years. I can't imagine that. And we were waiting, and we were wondering, what would Messiah be like? A Savior in a manger. It never crossed our minds. We built you our temples, but you preferred our hearts. We stared up at the heavens, and you were here with us. What a surprise. You're more than we thought you were. We were so wrong, but we have never been happier. When I think about a weary world rejoicing, what a surprise. 
We did not expect a Messiah in a manger. Mary did not expect to watch her son brutally crucified. Mary did not expect to see him risen from the dead and ascending into heaven at the right hand of God the Father Almighty. She did not expect that. In the weariness of life, may we look up, may we magnify the Lord, may we see who He is, and may it put perspective to the weariness of this world. Let's go to the Lord in prayer. Father, we love You so much, and what a gift it is to have these, these, these words of Mary um, written so, so long ago. We're so grateful that Luke interviewed her to capture this. Um, for us today, may we take her words to heart. May we magnify you with all of our soul, with all of our being, when we contemplate who you are in the midst of our weariness in this world. In Jesus' name, amen.